daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk five days a week. And joining me today from Locked on Bama, making his second appearance, Mr. Jimmy Stein, who is really a fun guy to talk to because, well, not only is he one of your typical Bama fans who is all in on football and not only football, but local high school recruiting as well. But he's got a passion for basketball as well. Those are those are my favorite kind of SEC fans, quite honestly. The ones who love basketball just as passionately. So we do start talking Alabama basketball mostly and a little bit about the matchup on Saturday against the Tigers. But then we get into football recruiting because, well, Jimmy quite specifically has seen Ennis Rakestraw, a lot corner from Duncanville, Texas, that Missouri recruited over the Crimson Tide, and also Chris Abrams Drain, also from the from the Mobile area. Jimmy, in fact, seen him play about ten times in person, so he's got some really good insight here on all these topics. And without further ado, we'll get to that discussion right now. Hey, uh, why don't we just uh, lead with uh, basketball then? Because I know there's uh, been some good stuff to talk about there. I I noticed you said on Twitter the other day, Jimmy, that that Vanderbilt loss was maybe the worst loss considering the circumstances for Alabama basketball in two decades even. Just explain that to me a little bit. Sure. Well, I didn't didn't research it. (laughs) Sure. That was just sort of an off-the-cuff. That was an off-the-cuff guess. But I just, when you consider that, the the team was still on the bubble. It was a home game, and you're playing against a team that that is what one and fifteen yeah. at the time uh, in the league, and you're an eleven point favorite. And 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 there was just a lot on the line to lose at home to a team that's one and fifteen in the league. And and Alabama's been a really, I think uh, the number is, and it's a crazy number, fifteen and twenty five in the last forty home games. In February and March. Wow. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Last 40 SEC games. Sure, sure. 15, 15 and 25. And uh, that, that's just out, outrageously bad. Considering so many of those games have taken place with Alabama sort of on the bubble about are you in or are you right. out. And then you just have these bad home losses that, that knock you off the bubble. It's kind of like a Groundhog Day thing. It's like same thing year after year. No matter uh, the coaching change or the players change out, it, it's uh, – same thing year after year, but I don't remember losing to a team that's one in fifteen in the league. You know, uh, at the time of the loss, you know that's just ridiculously bad. On the other hand, there are some good wins. I mean, this team, this team has shown capable of uh, of beating anybody. You know, they beat LSU, beat Auburn. Uh, you know, we had some good wins, but boy, some really frustrating losses. But sure, that was the worst. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, kind of typical, I guess, for a a first-year coach and but how do you how are you feeling about Nate Oates overall because I'll be honest with you I'm a fan I like the guy yeah uh Nate Oates is still very well received uh he's very popular as a lot of first-year coaches are he's really changed the system now Alabama's had a crazy run of injuries I mean crazy and you know, it was upsetting to lose at home to Vanderbilt the other night, uh, definitely. But, you know, you wake up the next day and there's a new perspective, and that's this. If you'd have told me last summer that Alabama was going to be down three players 
two to season ending injury before camp even started. And one of them was a, a highly decorated Juco inside player that would have helped a lot. And then a third player, Javon Quinterly, who is a former five star, a transfer from Villanova, that we expected, that Alabama expected to be ruled immediately eligible by the NCA. And his eligibility was actually denied. The, tra- the immediate eligibility was denied. And then the appeal was denied, which surprised Alabama based on precedent. So if you'd have told me before the season even started that Alabama be down those three guys, I would have told you right then and there, well, there's no way they're going to make the NCAA tournament, not, not losing those three. And then the season starts, and three starters, John Petty, Herb Jones, and Beetle Bolden, three starters have all missed multiple games due to injury. If you'd have told me all that before the year started, I'd be like, why are we even playing the games? Right. <laughs> you know, and then to cap it all off, Herb Jones, who has missed, I think he missed a total of three games, but Herb Jones has now played half of the SEC basketball season literally with one hand. He has to shoot one-handed free throws and only shoots the ball offensively with one hand because there's a cast on his on his main hand. He's a left-handed guy that casts on his left hand. So he, he's having to play the entire game with his off hand. You add all that up, and you're like, how did this team win any more than 10 games at all? And so so to, to that extent, what Nate Oates has done in year one has been really impressive. He squeezed wins out of a really beleaguered roster. Now, that said, I lost at least legit favorite uh, to pin to Texas A&M, and to Vanderbilt, Alabama was a home double-digit favorite, lost all, all those games, and it's those losses that will keep Alabama out of the NCAA tournament. If, if Alabama had won those games, they'd be 19-11 and 11 headed yep. to Missouri and probably in the field. Uh, right. So, so the season has been, on the one hand, amazing that they put themselves in a position <laughs> to make March games matter, and secondly, it's been disappointing because they have lost home games they never should have lost despite the roster limitations. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Shout out once again to everybody over at Monocle's Pizza. Just off of Highway K. Really, just off I-70 to be honest with you. 1224 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri, famous thin crust pizza. Oh, really, they've got the best. Really, they've got about as good of a carryout setup as you're going to find. If you're a family, want to just get some quick grub on the way home, definitely hit up Monocles. Hit them up on the Monocles app on your smartphone, your smart device, or at monocles.com. And of course, also on Grubhub. And indeed, give a shout out if you're going to. Hit the bar. Definitely give a try to that 1959 House Amber beer. Yes, 
And, of course, you can get $5 off a large specialty pizza when you mention Locked On or use the promo code online, Locked On. That's one word, Locked On. Again, hit up Monocles. Give them a call, 636-980-1212. Well, sure, you brought up that pin game, actually, and that, that's got to be their worst loss on oh paper, at least in, the, at least in the non-con you know, but yep. I'll say I'll just say to Oates' credit that is their very first game of the season, right. and honestly, all everything that you just laid out to me there that makes me like Oates even better. The fact that in his first year they've struggled through all of this and still managed to be on the bubble. You know, the disappointing loss against Vanderbilt aside, and one thing I really look for in a new coach is can he? How quickly is this coach? able to establish his identity and to me the difference between Alabama last year and this year just in terms stylistically is really quite stark and I think that's that's a credit to Nate being able to juice this the tempo to I mean they're one of the fastest playing teams in the country the offense is much better than it was under Avery Johnson now the defense has taken a step back but again I imagine some of that's got to be the injuries right yeah, exactly. Uh, Herb Jones is, is really, really Herb Jones is one of the best defenders in college basketball. He, he's an outstanding, he, he, he is a great NBA prospect on that side of the ball, I guess you'd say. He, he is a fantastic NBA level defender, uh, pretty limited offensively though. But, and then he's, he's played hurt. He's been playing with, with a broken hand and, and wears a cast, uh, on his hand. The other, uh, the Alabama's second best defender is John Petty, who hyperextended his elbow. Three games ago, he's been out. He hasn't played at all. He didn't play against Vanderbilt and is, is very questionable for Missouri Saturday. And he's Alabama's second-best defender, uh, you know, in terms of what's left on the roster. There's only only 10 guys left, and, and only eight of them play. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, if Petty's able to go Saturday. But uh, the injuries have really hurt Alabama defensively more than anything else. And the style of play, you're exactly right, John. It, it's uh, that is a sea change. It's literally, uh, I mean, the football equivalent of going from uh, the power eye to a spread offense in one year. I mean, it, it, and, and on the one hand, Nate got a little lucky. He inherited a team that was that was sort of uh, in in spots well built to play a faster tempo. I agree. Uh, even, you know, so so he sort of got lucky there. Now some of them were not. And Alabama's not good on the interior, right. and it's really for that reason. I think the interior guys have struggled with the with the tempo and the style, uh, but the guards were very well built for this. Particularly Kyra Lewis, uh, who may end up leaving Alabama early for the NBA draft. One mock draft had him the seventeenth pick uh, th- this week. Kyra uh, is an extremely fast player, and it took him a few games, but. Now that Kyra is very comfortable with Nate Oates' style, he's been uh, an extremely good player, especially over the last three weeks. Well, moving on just to the Missouri game, obviously if Alabama is going to have – maybe they're already completely off the bubble for all I know, but if they have any chance to still make the field of 68, this is a must-win for Alabama. So how are you feeling about their chances on Saturday? Oh, Alabama's been – you know. 
obviously in Columbia, obviously in Columbia, just to set the stage, one of Missouri's probably not one of their better performances in Tuscaloosa, Alabama ended up winning that game, trying to find the score here, (laughs) struggling to find it. But anyway, regardless, Alabama wins that game pretty handily, ended up 84, sorry, 88, 74. So, Right. It's going to be a different story uh, over there on the road, of course. Alabama has is down a couple of players from, from where they were uh, in the initial game against Missouri with uh, well, with Herb Jones yep. likely limited to his one hand and Petty uh, questionable. Petty may play Saturday. Even if he does, it's unlikely he'd be 100% after missing uh, three games with the hyperextended elbow. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good matchup for Alabama the first time around, and Alabama played well. But as you know, you know, uh, going going on the road is is completely different. Missouri is certainly a solid ball club that has had impressive performances all during the season. Uh, I, I, you know, I I, I, sh- I don't believe that it's a game that's going to have much effect on Alabama's NCAA hopes. That, those are pretty much dead outside of of winning the SEC tournament, which. Uh, you know, Alabama has, has played well enough at times to beat anybody in the league, but really only only having eight players available, the idea that you could win four games in four days with eight guys, uh, that that's going to be really tough. But I do think this, this is the one thing Missouri fans can watch for. When Alabama has had some substandard performances, they've generally played pretty well the next game. Uh, they have not, Alabama's not been a team that's played poorly two, three games in a row. Uh, they've turned it around pretty quick. They've also not been able to stand prosperity. It was a pretty good home win against South Carolina last Saturday. Alabama actually played pretty well in that game and turned around and played, you know, pretty bad defensively against Vanderbilt. So uh, I, I suspect Alabama will play well Saturday, but playing well on the road in this league doesn't necessarily mean that you win. Uh, it's certainly going to be tight uh, one way or the other. Uh, because uh, Alabama has rarely been a team that's been blown out, even playing games at Penn State, at Florida, at Kentucky. Alabama lost all of those games, but they were very tight. So I'm expecting a close game Saturday. Uh, but as usual in the SEC, uh, home home games tend home teams tend to win those uh, close games. Yeah, they tend to get the whistle. That's for darn sure. That's a big advantage. But, uh, you know, I guess that's all of college basketball, isn't it? But, you know, I'll just say, for my part, my prediction, as much as I would love to predict a Missouri victory on senior night for for Reed Nico, I just feel like Alabama is not a great matchup for the Tigers. So, So I hesitate to do so. Let's just put it that way. You know what? Uh, I will say, Jimmy, an outstanding follow on Twitter. You can follow him at LJS Law. And one of the reasons he's a great follow, he doesn't just tweet about Alabama. He's one of the best that I found just observers of football recruiting in that era. And that's one reason I wanted to have him on because I know he's familiar with some of Missouri's freshmen. So, Jimmy, I want to ask you first about, is it Ennis or Ennis? Do you know that Ennis Rakestraw? I believe it's it's Ennis. I think it's Ennis. Ennis. With the two N's, I think it's also Ennis. So I'm going to go with that. But So Ennis Rakestraw, obviously Missouri got a bit of a coup there, getting him away from, Mm -hmm. well, your Crimson Tide and the Texas Longhorns. Again, I joked around with you on Twitter saying, I think you all will survive this. But but anyway, (laughs) it seemed like a pretty good coup for Missouri. What what are your takeaways having watched uh, Rakestraw a good bit? Yeah, I love his tape. I, I liked him from the start. It, it boggles my mind a little bit that he was sort of a hidden prospect. He was not a hyped 
highly ranked player at all. Uh, you know, most of these kids these days make their national reputation or even regional reputation as juniors. And during his junior year, Rake Straw, what was a name you just didn't see on on any lists or any, you know, uh, you know, offer lists. I mean, he's just not a highly recruited uh, guy at all, not thought to be an SEC player. But as with so many guys, he just is sort of a late bloomer uh, in his senior and right before his senior season at, at the last couple of camps he went to. And then during his senior season. He just basically turned into another guy. And, and then when you watch a senior tape, it's hard to imagine that he was uh, overlooked or not highly thought of because he checks every box for corners. He's he's long. That's, that's one of the first things you look for. I think a lot of fans think, well, cornerbacks have to be fast and quick. Well, that's certainly true because there are minimum expectations, particularly in the SEC. You better be pretty fast to play that spot. But a great trait for the good SEC corners is length. And that's where, where Ennis uh, sets himself apart a little bit. He, he's got long arms. He's a long strider. He's a true corner. I say that in terms of he's able to turn and run without losing speed. Uh, he's got good burst. Um, I think he would have been an excellent fit in what Nick Saban looks for in cornerbacks. For those that don't know, Nick Saban uh, basically was a cornerback coach his whole life before becoming a defensive coordinator and a head coach. Nick Saban still coaches uh, corners at, at Alabama to this day, and he's very picky about the cornerbacks he likes. And even though Rake Straw was a late find for Alabama, Nick Saban and Alabama liked him quite a bit. At one point, thought for sure that uh, that Rake Straw would end up signing with Alabama. But in the end, uh, it was Missouri, and I don't know, of course, all the circumstances, but I believe he had a really good relationship uh, with uh, with uh, his position coach or a coach on the Missouri staff, yeah. and I think that ended up making a huge difference for him, and, and, and it's that reason more than anything else, I think, that Rakestraw ended up at Missouri. Missouri also recruited him a, a little bit before Alabama, not not a long time before Alabama, but Missouri had been there a little longer. He had the great relationship with the assistant coach, and I think Rakestraw is a guy, John, particularly in an era where everybody's got to play a lot of nickel and dime where you're putting more defensive backs on the field than ever before. Uh, I think there's a good chance that uh, you could see Rakestraw play a significant role as a true freshman. Yeah, I think you're totally on the money there, especially considering Missouri graduated its best corner, lost maybe its second or third best corner as a transfer. That's Christian Holmes and Demarcus Acey I'm referring to. Holmes transferred to Oklahoma State. So, yeah, he's going to have all the opportunity in the world to play next year. And and speaking of position where freshmen are going to have opportunities to play, wide receiver was a big sore spot for Missouri last year. You were telling me that you've seen Chris Abrams-Drain, who signed as a freshman with Missouri. You've yes. seen him some 10 times or so play in person. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, he just happens to be uh, from uh, from near Mobile. I, I live in a, a suburb of, of Mobile and, and uh, right right next to the town Chris, Chris Abrams-Drain played. So I've seen him quite a bit. He's been a very high-profile player locally. Uh, he was a standout a, as a young player. I remember first seeing him, uh, I believe it was the very beginning of his 10th grade season. He was playing wide receiver uh, that season and was a major standout right away. Now, I, I didn't see him play basketball, but to show how athletic this kid is, he was also the starting point guard on his high school basketball team in even the ninth and 10th grade. Uh, and we're talking about a pretty big high school, uh, Spanish Fort High School, where Chris Abrams' drain is, is a 6A school in Alabama. In Alabama, Alabama goes up to 
7A, but there's very few 7A schools. So 6A schools are a big school in Alabama. And, you know, with an enrollment of probably, I would guess, around 1,200 or 1,500. And, and here's a kid in the ninth grade who's a star on the basketball team and a contributor on the football team. So Chris Chris Abrams train has, has always been a standout. He was a wide receiver in the 10th grade. And I felt even watching him in the 10th grade, I'm like, here's a guy that's going to play in the SEC. I, I felt right off the bat he would eventually become an SEC player. Then he started bouncing around and playing some at quarterback. They, they, his team had a, a good quarterback who was a tall drop back passer. And the, through the twelfth through the, his 12th grade season, he played the first part of it at wide receiver. But then his coaches at Spanish Fort felt like they were more explosive with drain at quarterback. So basically the idea of putting the ball in the hands of their best player uh, on every snap, they uh, they moved Chris Drain to uh, to quarterback, and that's when the team started playing better, and they made it all the way to the state championship uh, game with, uh, with with Chris Abrams Drain playing quarterback. He is certainly going to switch back to wide receiver in the SEC. Again, great ball skills. I, I think what kept him off of of national elite list. He's probably not a four four guy. He's probably more like a four six guy maybe mid four, six. And while some fans, they hear that and I might turn them off. There are, there are many, many outstanding college wide receivers that run that speed. I mean, you you make up for in other areas and Chris Abrams dream does with ball skills. And by that, I mean, contested catches, uh, athletic plays, uh, gaining separation, finding separation. Uh, Just the fact that he played quarterback at the six, a level, for parts of three seasons that tells you what kind of ball skills he has and then throw in the fact he's been a really good college level point guard really i don't think he was ever going to play basketball in the sec at a place like missouri but he is a guy that could have played uh basketball at uh at small colleges he, he's he's that gifted yeah i mean just listening to you talk about his basketball skills and then obviously being able to transition to quarterback Obviously, he's a tremendous athlete. Then looking at his size, 6'1", 170, I guess my question is, you're saying he can go up and get the ball, too. Does he project, in your mind, as more of a a boundary receiver or a slot receiver? I I think the slot might be ideal for him because, uh, you know, he's not the biggest kid. Now, he's not a small guy. He's just not a big guy. Like all receivers, he's going to struggle a bit with the transition to seeing a lot of bump-and-run coverage against physical SEC defensive backs. So I think as a young player, the slot might be a great spot for him. But he has such good ball skills, such a natural player. I am certain, John, you'll see him play every wide receiver spot throughout his career. Maybe his freshman year, the slot might be the best spot for him. I also wouldn't rule out him playing defensive back, but if Missouri's primary need is wide receiver, uh, I, I suspect that's where you'll see him start out. But he's he's certainly athletic enough to play on the defensive side of the ball. He didn't do any of that in high school, but but he would have the athleticism for it for sure. Well, wow, that's really good stuff, Jimmy. Hey, I appreciate your time, man. This was a really fun show. Oh, thanks for having me on, and uh, I really appreciate it anytime. Absolutely. Well, Jimmy Stein, thanks so much for coming on, my friend. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Once again, get your butts out there early and give Reed Nico the send-off that that big fella deserves. So, until next time, for Jimmy Stein, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.